0: If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter (laughs) 1. Ooh, I love this church. Ooh, it's the second row, yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So I want to say well done, because we filled the 8 a.m., which is awesome, because what's happening at the moment is, you know, lazy Joe Burgers who don't want to, or, or the 10 a.m. is full, and then they don't come to the 8, they'd rather just try again next week, you know? Um, and that's okay, we're praying about strategy to, to get everyone in, but I think it's awesome that a bunch of you would want to be here at 8 o'clock. I think that's wild. We call the 8 a.m. the revival service, don't tell the 10 a.m. I'm teasing. But it's so good, and I, I just want to say thank you for valuing family, valuing time to to get together to worship the Lord. Um, I'm excited for what the Lord's doing, and I hope you are too. Man, so last week I uh, just kind of tried to create a perspective through which we're going to view everything we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And so I spoke last week around living for the return of Jesus, and we said, what would it look like for a community of people, and even in your individual lives, what would it look like to make decisions based on the eternal reality, the fact, the truth, that Jesus, our King of glory, is coming back, right? And, and we spoke about how that message is, is not really spoken about much in the church, because for so many of us, it's really a terrifying thought, uh, and it's something that we, we, we kind of see in this weird uh, lens and, and we've heard so many teachings around eschatology and stuff and, and it gets, we get so caught up in the plan that we miss the man. And so the reality is we get, we get sucked into this thing of trying to figure out how's it going to work and when and when and when and we've got so many people that have tried to guess the times and they've been wrong every time but they're still writing books but they're not apologizing when they're wrong, Right? <laughs> 2012 came and went, uh, the movie failed, uh, you know, come on, we've, we've seen time and time again, we go, this is what's happening, no, it doesn't happen. So the reality is the church needs to get a, a, a good, godly, biblical understanding and perspective of the times that we live in and understanding that the return of Jesus is something that is so glorious, so exciting, something that actually in the Word, it says those that are saved, those that are, are in, in Christ are actually looking forward to that day. Right, It's not something we're afraid of. So if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen to it. I think it's up now. Go and listen to, to that because it, that's the lens that we, we're going to unpack vision and values and culture and the things that God's put in this house. Uh, everything comes around that one thing. It's important for you to know that as a, as a church, we have no desire to do something for the sake of being different. We have no desire for trying to find our thing trying to, uh, you know, well, what makes 24-7 church different that makes you want to come here and not to other churches? To be honest, if, if, if God has not planted you and called you to be in 24-7 and He wants you somewhere else, I celebrate that as long as you're planted. But the reality is for those that do come here and feel that that God called you to be planted and to, to build into local church, we're very strategic and very intentional about how we do that. Because it's important for us to actually be on this journey of growing more and more ready for the return of Jesus for, for what reason? For what sake? Because that's our eternal purpose in Him, is that for all of eternity, we will rule and reign with Christ as a bride. And that in this, this time that we're on the earth, He's building us together as a body, which means every single one of us has, have something to contribute towards what He's building. And as we're all coming together in this oneness, which by the way is far more than a Sunday morning, But as we're coming together in this oneness, what's beautiful is that that same expression of a body for His name, a group of people that are coming together to exalt Jesus and to be His body, they're also building a dwelling place for His glory. And so we see throughout the the, the story of of Jesus and and what He came to introduce that actually He shifted something from a synagogue kind of temple mentality that's a building to realizing that the people of God are going to carry His presence. Which means we could meet here, we could meet under a tree, we could meet everywhere. It doesn't matter. The reality is when we come together, we begin to become the habitation place for His glory, right? And so I spoke a little bit last week around the prophetic timeline that many Christians today have been feasting off of messages and topics without putting them into the timeline of God from the beginning to Christ's second return and realizing that actually when we understand the prophetic timeline of God, we can live with confidence because we know where we are, why we're here, and the great privilege that it is to be alive. I'll unpack that. Don't worry. Um, and so, so we, we, we kind of introduced this, this concept. And so now we want to talk about, we want to begin to unpack what we believe the word of the Lord is over this community, over this local church in this city. But I believe it's way more than just a word for this house. It's actually a word for the church. Um, but the reality is I love that because I, I don't go and seek the Lord, like I said, for a word or, or something that's going to make us unique. I go and say, Lord, what are you saying to your bride? We just want to make sure we're being, being obedient to that one thing. Are you with me? Because the reality is, we, uh, you know, last week in the ATM a.m., I played that little clip. Uh, friends and family of ours uh, that are operating in the, the 1040 window in the Middle East praying for us and listening to the sound of your family who you don't even know you've never met yet, but they're praying for you and contending for you that you would walk in the fullness of God. And so God's introducing to us the revelation of the fact that we are one body, one bride, one family, And that message is not an anti-local church message. It's supposed to strengthen the local church. It means that what we do in this little room actually has an impact and an effect on people on the other side of the planet that you've never met before. It should increase the intensity at which we obey. It should increase the desire and the longing to be together because we understand that although in the natural it looks like 50 people, or 60 people in a room, in the spirit I am beginning to co-labor with millions of sons and daughters of God all across the earth that are giving their lives to Him to see the glory of God on the earth. Are you with me? And so we want to talk into vision and into our values and into culture, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit today, but I want to start by taking us to Revelation chapter 1, because how many of you have heard us say this? We, we, we use this, this language a lot, that, you know, it's all about Jesus. The vision is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All we want is Jesus. And, and those statements are probably the most prophetic statements we could say, but they've become a little bit familiar or common uh, in the house, right? And so I want to just unpack that a little bit and say, if we, if we turn to Revelation chapter 1, I want to encourage you in April and May, We'll do our annual Bible study. Last year, we did the book of Acts. We unpacked it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This year, we're going to do the book of Revelation. Uh, but this, instead of doing it over, whatever it was, six months, we'll do it in two. Um, but we're going to unpack it together, and that's going to be an incredible time. So don't worry if there's stuff that you're seeing today, and you're like, oh, I'm not 100% sure. Don't worry. We're, on, we're, we're in this for the long haul. This isn't, uh, you didn't come for takeaways. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Now, let me just set this up quickly. We're talking about the Apostle John here, who most scholars say when, when this was written, when he experienced this, he was in his 90s. So I'm not putting that out as fact. That's just what most scholars believe uh, in terms of where he was. Uh, he, he wrote this from uh, the island of Patmos, which was a prison camp. And uh, so he was working, he was a 90-something-year-old man, supposedly, working in these quarries as a slave. Right? Just context for the book. And in this time he has this encounter this vision and Jesus introduces himself and what's so powerful about Revelation chapter 1 we could spend a whole series just talking on this chapter is that Jesus comes encounters John and he's going to speak prophetically to prepare the bride for what's coming and he starts by simply revealing and manifesting the fullness of who he is I want you to understand that what we're about to read, you know, John had walked with Jesus. He had been there on the the Mount of Transfiguration. He had seen Jesus in glory, but he had never seen Jesus like this. So I want you to know this, that when John describes how he's seeing Jesus, he actually doesn't really know what he's seeing in that moment. Because you'll hear in the language that it's not like John goes, hey, that's Jesus. I see him standing in the midst of the lampstands. He actually describes like it was one like the Son of Man. And, and, and what, he's, what he's describing is there were aspects of Jesus that he had never seen before. There, there were expressions of him that made him go, Who is this king? <laughs> right? So there's a holiness and a reverence on this chapter, and it sets, it sets the church up for the letters that he writes to seven churches, which, uh, you know, if, if you didn't know that these places were all in what's now modern day Turkey. But Jesus is addressing these seven churches as a prophetic statement, a prophetic message to the church. And he's saying, I'm going to let you know, this is what it's going to look like. This is how you're going to know. uh, Here's here's the master plan of God to the extent at which I want you to to grasp it. And the whole thing is wrapped up in one revelation, and it's Jesus. And so he's saying, I'm going to unfold the plan, but the, the point of this is not the plan. The point is the man. And if you go after the man, you'll walk in the plan. But if you go after the plan, you'll forget the man. Are you with me? So the point of this book is not to figure out the plan. It's to go after the man. And when you go after the man, Jesus, you begin to walk in the plan. But too many of us are going after the plan, forgetting the man. And so we don't know what's going on. and We're getting it wrong. Are you with me? That was some proper rhyming right there. I love that. I feel like I'm rapping. Let's go. And so, so here's this moment, and, and I don't have time to read the whole, the whole chapter, but John is now taken into this vision. He's in the spirit, and he begins to see these things. And, and here's where he begins to describe Jesus, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw someone like the Son of Man. Pause there for a second. In the Old Testament, the description of Jesus as the Son of Man is only mentioned once, In the whole of the Old Testament, the only person who ever described Jesus as the Son of Man was Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And when he describes Jesus as the Son of Man, he's having a vision of the end times. Are you with me? So Jesus, he talks about himself. He labeled himself the Son of Man more than any other description of himself while he walked on the earth. So can you imagine Jesus comes and he's, he's on this journey of introducing the kingdom and he, he keeps saying, hey, I'm the son of man that Daniel spoke about in Daniel 7. Okay, which is super offensive and intense. Can you imagine what was happening? But Jesus began to introduce himself as the son of man. And now we're seeing John goes into this encounter and he goes, someone like the son of man. In other words, just to bring context, John is looking at, he's having this encounter and he's going, this is the same guy Daniel saw. And Daniel saw, if you read Daniel 7, he saw that actually the Father has hair that's white as wool. And now he's looking at the Son of Man who has the same hair that's white as wool, which he's never seen Jesus like before. And he's going, you're like the Father. Are you with me? So he sees him, someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching to his feet with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, glistening white like snow, and his all seeing eyes were flashing like a flame of fire piercing into my being. His feet were like burnished white hot bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was powerful like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, uh, and from his mouth came a sharp two edged sword. And his face reflecting this is the Amplified, reflecting his majesty and the Shekinah glory was like the sun shining in all its power at midday. John had never seen Jesus like this. So, so he gets into this, this vision, this encounter, and he hears this voice that early on it says it's like the, the sound of a, a war trumpet. How many of you know, I don't know if you can hang out with that voice. That voice speaks in and you, you, everything, you're captivated by that sound. The sound of a war trumpet. So the voice that sounds like a war trumpet speaks to John. He says, I turned to see this voice that was speaking to me, and this is what he saw. Here's this man who looks like he looks like the Son of Man. He's in the midst of the lampstands, which we'll talk about now. His hair is white as wool. His all seeing eyes are blazing fire, piercing into his being. His feet are like white hot burnished bronze. He's, he's dressed in this robe and, and a golden sash. And then it says, um, His voice was powerful like the sound of many waters, like a flood. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth, here's something vital as well. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. (laughs) That's that sword that's going to bring conviction, revelation, judgment. It's going to separate what's of God and what's not of God. When we live in the voice of Jesus, when when we're after His voice, do we understand that it's going to come like a sword? (laughs) Nobody hangs out with a sword that's cutting them to the heart. There's reverence and awe. So now we're seeing Jesus like this. Now here's what I want to emphasize. Verse 17, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. Now, I believe he's having this vision, and I I believe he actually literally falls to the ground as though dead because of the glory of God. But I believe there's so much in this because I, I also think it speaks to the posture of what happens to a group of people when they begin to see Jesus rightly. You see, when we begin to see Jesus rightly... We die to our own agendas, we die to our own understanding, we die to our own perspective, we die to our own desires. You see, what's happening to John right now is he is seeing Jesus rightly, and the posture of someone that's seeing clearly is dead. And it's Jesus who puts his right hand on John's shoulder and and says, don't be afraid. If you read it, it and he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Uh, and the ever-living one, I died, but see, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. John falls to the ground, dead, as though dead. Jesus stretches out his right hand, and we're going to speak about this in a second, because that's so prophetic. His right hand, he touches him, he says, don't be afraid, and now John can, can carry on and actually begin to engage with what Jesus is about to release. So you go, what does this have to do with vision? Everything. Because the reality is, when we say it's all about Jesus, we say it's all for Him, we want to see Him rightly. When we see Jesus rightly, we're truly liberated into freedom because of this one thing we die to ourselves. And we cannot move unless the right hand, the leadership of Jesus, touches me. Are you with me? So you go, What's the vision of the church and how are we going to do this? Well, if we can do one thing, and. and, uh, we've got strategy and ideas and whatever, but I'm ready for Holy Spirit to just, poof, just blow it up, right? But the reality is, if we do the one thing right, see Him rightly, die to ourselves, poof, and wait for His perfect leadership. When Jesus touches us, says, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last, the ever-living one. I died, but see, I live, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. What is He saying? He's saying... What I'm going to ask you to stand up into is who I am. In other words, you came in, you saw me, you died. Now my perfect leadership is going to touch your life. And I'm going to invite you into the resurrection life of Christ, all that I am. In other words, you're going to stand up different. And you're going to see things that your earthly mind is not going to understand. Something that's so vital for us to see here is I I think we would eradicate so much uh, perverted or corrupted expressions of ministry, right? Because so often when we are struggling, we think what we need is ministry. Sometimes, yes, but I think a lot of the time what we really need is to see Jesus rightly. And if we if, if the expression of our ministry is not pointing people to see Jesus rightly, and it's it's putting emphasis on the demonic or putting emphasis on my gifting or putting emphasis on anything else other than seeing him rightly, then your ministry is not his anyway. But the reality is what Jesus is showing us here is he's actually saying true freedom, a liberated free heart is actually going to come from somebody who sees me and dies. And and so last week in the 10, if you were in the 10, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, for the last 20 minutes, I pulled the clip on some sort of grenade, uh, but the reality is we went after certain things that I believe want to hinder us from walking what God has for us, hurt and offense and all these different things, and I, we all journey it, I know, I know what that's like and what that feels like, we've all been there. But the reality is what we're seeing here in the Word is Jesus is saying to the church, and John is this prophetic representation. He's saying to us as sons and daughters, you cannot come into what I have for you until you see me and die. So today, I could easily do a beautiful PowerPoint and show you, you know, here's our vision. Here's our values. Whatever. And the reality is you can walk out of this room and still be stuck doing the same things that you're doing, stuck in the same mindsets, and never really see the full expression of those things because you haven't seen Him and you haven't died. And so for us as a house, when you say, what's your vision? It's to see Jesus rightly. Because every expression of what He wants in His church will come from a people who have seen Him. So you go, well, you know, does 24-7 church do these things? And what about this? And what about that? I get you. I'm all for it. I love it. And just to clarify, when you say 24-7 church, you mean us, right? Not me. Just a good good thing to talk about. No, well, does 24-7 church feed the poor? I don't know. Do you feed the poor? So we see so clearly here (laughs) for 24-7 church. Concentrate. Smile. I'm just teasing, guys. So, so we, see, we see here that Jesus is inviting his church into true vision. And what's beautiful is this kind of vision is not something that you have to strive to come up with every year for your life. This is not the kind of vision where it's like, oh, my goodness, I've got to have vision for 2022. And what is it? Okay, what's my goals? What's my what is it? See him. Because everything that is life is going to come from him. And so anything that doesn't come from him is not worth my life. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my energy. It's not worth my thoughts. And so now, tie what I've just said into that thing we spoke about last week. If I'm going to make decisions that are going to be built around the revelation that this Jesus, this King of glory, who's put His Spirit inside of me, is coming again. How do I live today knowing that that day is coming ever closer? And there's going to come a day where the Holy Collision, the Bride and the Lamb meet. And they don't just meet In intimacy in the secret place in your bedroom, they meet corporately before all of heaven and earth and the marriage of the lamb and the bridegroom, uh, the the lamb and the bride happen. Are you with me? And so, Jesus with his right hand, he touches John and it's a representation of his leadership. He also says this, Verse 19. So write these things which you have seen in the vision and the things which are now happening and the things which will take place after these things. See, now he can walk in the assignment because he's seen him and he's died. Are you with me? Now you can write these things. Now I can show you what I want to say because the first part has happened. Then he says this As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars. Uh, are the angels or the divine messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands? Are the seven churches? In other words, uh, I've I've studied this. I've done a deep dive. There's some people that literally believe when they talk about the seven stars that are angels. Um, the word angel actually means messenger, and so it can be used for actual angelic beings and also for men and women, right? And so uh, there's a lot of people that believe that Jesus is actually talking to angels, who then must take this message to the church and. And I I just can't, it's not consistent enough for me, but I'm open to to that conversation. But I believe more accurately when you study this, that he's actually talking about divine messengers. He's talking about the leadership of the church. And I don't believe that's one man or woman per region or whatever. I don't think it's like that. I think he's, he's prophetically speaking to the leadership of the church. So he's saying, in my right hand are the seven stars representing the earthly government of God that he's put into place in his body, but they must be in his right hand. Otherwise, they're not his. Are you with me? In other words, just because you have the title of leadership in the church doesn't mean you're his leader. Just because you get together, have a pulpit and a stage, you sing certain songs, and you maybe have a cross at the top of your building doesn't make you a church. So as a leader myself and and as leaders in the church, these are things that matter. To us, Because really what Jesus is saying is the most important thing for messengers and leaders is to make sure that you're in the lead- perfect leadership of Jesus, his right hand. But Jesus is making something so clear. He's also saying this. He's saying, He's saying the leadership that I put into the church, the messengers that I commission into the house of God, I'm going to hold them in my right hand. Meaning they don't get to do anything outside of what I do. In other words, what Jesus is saying is they are actually divine messengers of my leadership and that's it. shepherding, pastoring, teaching, preaching, all the things, the gifts, they're all beautiful, but the reality is they can actually be, you know, a blessing but not build anything. They can even in some ways be destructive if they're not in the perfect leadership of Jesus, which means completely submitted to his hand. And then he says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is what I love about Jesus, right? Oh my goodness, I need to hurry up. Wow. Um, This is what I love about Jesus. Where are you going to find Jesus? See, Jesus will find you anywhere. But when you want to find him, where are you going to find him? In the midst of the lampstands. Who are the lampstands? The church. And what I love is here's Jesus going, hey, if you look for me, you'll find me in the midst of the church. Yes, the imperfect church who's growing, who I'm ministering to, who I'm speaking to, who I'm teaching and training. Are you with me? In other words, what he's saying is if you read the letters, you'll see them. He has corrections. Corrections. He has affirmations. He goes after a couple of things. He speaks to the church, which means Jesus is not intimidated by the fact that they maybe missed a few things. <laughs> he actually still likes to be amidst, in the midst of them. But he's speaking to them, and the perfect leadership of Jesus is preparing them for what's ahead. Okay? Man, I'll have more time to unpack this in the next one, so you have to go back and listen to it. But I, just very quickly, um, it's interesting that in these letters, he he. He starts them out by displaying an aspect of his personality. give you an example. We don't have the time to do all of them, but message to Ephesus, uh, to the angel or the divine messenger of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of the one who holds firmly the seven stars uh, in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's revealing these are the words of the one who's holding leadership, his perfect leadership is, is leading the leaders, and he's amidst the lampstands. Why does he do that? Well, then you see he, he brings a correction. He says, I have this one thing against you that you've forsaken your first love. What is he doing? He's saying the answer to what I, when I correct you, what I, what I want to replace that with is who I am. And you see this again and again in the letters, okay? So, uh, yeah, I don't have the time to unpack that more. But basically what I'm saying is his nature is what we need in order to do what he's called us to do. We see very clearly through these letters and and through uh, Revelation chapter 1 that he is very clearly preparing his bride for his return. It's just obvious. You're like, well, why? That's weird, man. Why do you keep talking about the second coming of Jesus? It's just he talks about it a lot. So there's definitely this aspect of readiness for his return. And then at the end of Revelation, Jesus actually says, yes, I'm coming quickly. Meaning what he leaves with the bride after showing them all these things of this is kind of what's going to happen. He goes, yes, I'm coming quickly. In other words, l- listen to what I'm saying. In fact, every, I think it's, oh man, I think it's 18 times or 16 times in these letters, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, he, he's, saying, he, he's saying to the church, he's going, if you could just get this one thing, he who has an ear, let him hear. Listen to my voice. Listen to my instruction. Listen to what I'm actually imparting to the bride. Are you with me? So now if you take this as the lens, there's so much more I want to say, but uh, if you take this as the lens and you say, okay, now as 24-7 church, we get excited and we go, Lord, we're ready to run. And I've said this the last couple of weeks, please commit to the next four, five, six Sundays because you need to hear this thing as it unfolds. We're going to get to practical stuff and whatever. But this is the foundation of everything that we do. If we don't catch this, it's pointless. We're wasting our time. But you say, okay, well, you know, so what is, what, how is this going to shape who we are? Well, we want to make sure that the revelation of Jesus and then encountering Him, seeing Him rightly, is the, the, the epicenter of life in 24-7 church. It's what leads us, uh, and it's from that place that we die to ourselves. And so as a, as a leadership team and as a community, the invitation before even having an idea of what's to come is to come and die. The invitation before having vision is death to yourself so that you can live in Him. And when you stand in the fullness of Christ, He can give assignments and instruction. He can give vision and strategy to what He wants us to walk in. Are you with me? So we've we've put a couple of things down, and, and I'm going to put this out on uh, all the groups and on the websites and all the different platforms. Um, but we've put down some language that might help us as a community understand who we are. And, and don't worry, you don't have to catch this right now. This is going to be massaged into us as a people over the next couple of weeks so that we have language to describe what we're talking about. And this language will probably grow and, 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 and take better shape as we go forward, as the Lord brings clarity. But if somebody was to ask you the question, who are we? Who is 24-7 Church? What, who are we? What do we do? What, 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 why do we get together? 24-7, and, and I want to, I'm going to throw a word in here, and you're going to go like, that's a strange word because we're not doing that yet but it's actually a prophetic statement that we felt for this year. 24-7 is a global, growing, local church community cultivating worship, prayer, and missions in healthy community that demonstrates the gospel and is unto the glory of the Lord and the return of our bridegroom King, Jesus Christ. You go, okay, I heard worship, I heard prayer, I heard missions. That's interesting. Why would you mention those three things? Because I believe out of those three things, I can describe everything that the church does. What about discipleship? Missions. What about preaching the gospel? Missions. What about uh, intimacy? Worship and prayer. Are you with me? What about taking care uh, of the poor? Missions. <laughs> it's the mission of what Jesus has given us to do. So we want to see, and I use the word global. Why I say global? Because the reality is global helps us understand that it's bigger than us. And so you go, you know, what does that mean? You want to go global? Of course I want to go global. That doesn't mean that I want to plant a million 24-7 churches. It means that I want to partner globally with sons and daughters and communities across the world to begin to build something that's actually for His glory. And if that looks like having to go into regions where there are no churches and plant a 24-7 church community, we'll do that. But the the aspect of why we use this word global is to help us go, this isn't about 50 or 100 people that get together just on a Sunday. This is about coming into the dream of God globally and saying, Lord, we want to give our yes in this city. Are you with me? Three things, if you want to sum it up, and this will be easier for you to remember. What are we doing? Who are we? What's happening? Number one, a bride for his glory. That's what we are. A bride for his glory. Number two, a body for his name. And number three, a dwelling pl- place for His presence. Don't worry, we'll put on a T-shirt. <laughs> but, and please don't stress, you don't have to get all these words now. I just want to start sharing this stuff. A bride for His glory, a body for His name, a dwelling place for His presence. That's who we are. The vision. The vision hasn't changed. This has been our vision statement since my parents started the church. I love it. Are you ready? <clears throat> the vision of 24-7 Church is to be a people living a life of daily encounters and relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on. Enabling them, in other words, that first, relationship and revelation of Jesus, once we got that, enabling them to live in the grace and freedom of the Holy Spirit and empowering them to go and transform our city and the nations by demonstrating kingdom culture and seeing Isaiah 61, 1 to 3 fulfilled in the lives of individuals, families, and the nations. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll go to Isaiah 61. We'll unpack that. You can find this stuff. It's going to be on the website this week. Some of it's already there. We're just freshening things up. There'll be five things that characterize our house. Five things that you can expect. Our desire is that these five things would happen every time we meet corporately. These are those things. Number one, ongoing revelation and relationship with Jesus Christ. You're going to hear that a lot. Number two, the presence of the Lord. It's pointless. Why meet if he's not there? Okay, presence of the Lord. Number three, freedom for God to move. Even if we meet and he's there, but we don't give him freedom to do what he wants to do, what's the point? Because he's there, but we don't know he's there. So freedom for God to move. Four, a culture of honor. Honoring one another above being right. Because there's something that matters more than being right. It's love. Culture of honor, because he likes those environments. Why? Why is that one of the five? He likes places where people love each other and honor each other. Last one, a healing atmosphere. And I believe God's moving in this way that people will get healed in every area of life, that when they come here in the glory of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, they would be healed and made whole and transformed into all that he's called us to do. I'm nearly done. Two minutes. Uh, values. I'm not going to, I love this. We were talking about this in the eldership team. If I was to write down a list of values that we live by as a community, I need to write an essay, right? Because here's the thing about values. They're not methodical. Values are actually the things that we prioritize as a community and as a family that will have multiple diverse expressions. If I could use a silly example, hospitality. I might host somebody in a different expression than maybe my mom, but the why and the motive behind why we do it, that's what's important. So you could sum up our values into exactly what I just said Jesus, <laughs> see him rightly. Why do we do what we do? Because I saw him, and I'm in love with him, and he's in love with these people. So I'm going to serve them. The motive and the why behind everything we do is the same. The expressions might look different. Culture is basically when value is believed and lived out. Culture is the behavior of a community based on what they agree on and believe together. Are you with me? Don't panic. We'll we'll share all of this as we go. And there's three things which you're going to hear taught over the next couple of weeks. I'm just introducing some concepts to you. Three core foundations of community life uh, in 24-7. I didn't come up with these. We didn't come up with these. These have been around for a long time. In fact, the Moravians lived by these three things. That's why we saw some incredible moves of God. Number one, apostolic community. You say, what the heck is that? A community of believers living in the culture of his kingdom and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Apostolic, if you're an apostle, it means that you're sent into another place where you bring the culture of where you're from. Are you with me? In other words, we live in Joburg. We're not of, of Joburg. The culture that we cultivate as a community and as a family, it's not of Joburg. It's of heaven. with me? Okay. Apostolic community, that's where discipleship happens and all of these things. So, number two, a priestly rhythm of life. A present-centered people who live lives built on the personal and corporate expression of enthroning Jesus. Right. In other words, the rhythm of our life is set to a lifestyle of worship and prayer, whether it's me alone in my room or whether it's together as the family of God, we are going to cultivate a lifestyle of of ministering to the Lord, a priestly rhythm of life. That's number two. Number three, a responsibility to preach the gospel to all nations. Just so you know, your family is part of a nation. So when we say preach the gospel to all nations, we immediately jump to all the nations that we never go to. That's not, it's everywhere. It's in your workplace, it's in your universities, in your schools, it's everywhere that we go. We, we take personal responsibility as a house to preach the gospel and demonstrate the goodness of God. Are you with me? And on top of that, we take personal responsibility for unreached nations and regions where people have never even heard the name of Jesus. We take personal responsibility to pray, to equip, to send, and to go, Right? I'm so pumped by your response to that. Um, I'm teasing. And then lastly, and we are done. We spoke about living a lifestyle that's ready for his return. For your life individually, what that looks like, the marks of a life that are being prepared for his return are intimacy and obedience. Everything flows from that place. If you can cultivate intimacy, cultivate obedience to his voice, watch how the Lord begins to prepare you. Quick thing, just want to ask you to pause. Get out of your heads and into your hearts. Are you with me? What I'm sharing here is not to impress your mind, it's just words, but I want to use language that starts to grab your heart, okay? Intimacy and obedience. I love that when I study Acts and I study the the churches that, that are mentioned in the Word, especially in the New Testament, we see these corporate marks of a group of people who are being made ready for the return of Jesus. It looks like worship and intercession. It looks like discipleship and faithfulness being faithful in what the Lord's called us to do. It looks like oneness and generosity, obedience to the Great Commission, endurance in the midst of persecution. If I could sum it up, I'm just gonna say it like this. When we see Jesus clearly, our hearts are liberated from the things of this world to truly love Him, to truly follow Him, and to truly obey Him. So everything that we do is gonna come from that place of when I truly see Jesus, my heart and my life is liberated from the things of this world, to love Him, to follow Him, and to obey Him. So in other words, everything you hear from the pulpit in the next couple of weeks is all going to come out of that one statement. When I see him, I'm made ready because I can love him, I can follow him, and I can obey him, which means I'm truly free. Are you with me? Please stand. Holy Spirit, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray right now that I know I've said a lot, especially in the last 10 minutes, but Father, I pray that what would be caught in this room is not the words that I shared, but that they would be provoked to see you rightly, Lord. The 24-7 church would be provoked to come into that place of intimacy and obedience, to encounter you, to see you rightly, to die to ourselves, and to submit to the perfect leadership of Jesus. And we know, Holy Spirit, that when we submit to your leadership, you can do exactly what you want to do in this house and through this house. So Lord, thank you. Make us an apostolic community. Lord, teach us to live a priestly rhythm of life where we minister to the Lord. And Lord, teach us to take personal responsibility to preach the gospel to all nations. We love you, we worship you, and we enthrone you today, and we bless you. I pray that you would have been touched and ministered to by what we have done in this room. And Lord, we thank you that we will continue to grow in an understanding of your glory, of your presence, and of the things that you desire and that that make you happy, Lord. We want to please you. So we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you for sitting 10, 15 minutes longer. Love you very, very much. Get some good coffee. Please, I want to just say this. Give our serve guys a massive high five. Just love on them, man. I think it's so, we need to celebrate each other when we serve. Nathan's on parking. Give him a big hug. Uh, Just tell him he's awesome. But bless you guys. We'll see you at table groups in the week or next week. Love you lots.